Hey, thanks for checking out this podcast. We're in a series in church right now called About Everyone. We're talking about how much you count, God cares, and even on your worst day, God would still choose you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Before we jump in to the second part of our About Everyone series, I just want to do this. I just want to take a couple of seconds just to, just to mention that today is International Women's Day. And so why don't we clap our hands? Why don't we show some love for the women in our lives? Man, if you think that you got where you are without the woman, you're lying, bro. You're lying. The, uh, there was no one on our team available uh, of the female persuasion to come and give you the talk today, even though it's International Women's Day, so they asked me to do it because I got a girl's name and that's close enough, right? <laughs> but we are in a series, we're in a series called About Everyone because we wholeheartedly believe this. We believe that God is for you. We believe that God is about you. We believe that God has made you with a plan and a purpose. And no matter who you are or where you're from or what you may or may not believe, we just believe that God is for you. And we just want you to know one thing throughout this whole series. If you take anything away, if you don't take anything else away from today, I just want you to know this one thing is that, is that you count like to God. You, you, you count to God. You mean something. And the second thing is this that I want you to know is that you care. God cares about you. He cares about your life. He cares about your problems. He cares about the situations that you're facing. He cares about all of the secret stuff that nobody else knows about. You count and God cares and he is for you. And even on your worst day, he would still choose you. The gospel story, the whole Bible story, in fact, is this, is this amazing story when you read it from cover to cover of God just trying to reconnect so desperately with people that he loves. So we just want you to know that, that you count, God cares, and he is for you. And even on your worst day, he would still choose you. So yeah, so we're, uh, this is our second part of our About Everyone series. And I just want to kick off by saying this, right? I am not a good friend. True. True story. And uh, a lot of people will know Josh Scott, and you'll know him because he's like seven foot tall and he leads worship. He, he's got long hair. He looks like a biker, but he sings like a bird, so it's cool. Um, <laughs> a lot of people, you know Josh, and, and a lot of you might know that me and Josh are actually really close friends, like not church friends, you know, like you go, oh, we're church friends. No, no, like we're really, really close friends. And, um, and we've been close friends now for maybe 10 years. But what happened was, um, what a lot of people don't know is that me and Josh, we were forced into being friends, right? Like, uh, when we started this church, I was the youngest adult involved in helping to get this thing going, which is why it probably took so long to get off the ground. Um, and Josh was one of the first ever guests that ever came to church, and me and him are a similar age. So Luke and Emma, they got together, and they were like, well, you guys should just be friends then. And, uh, and there was nobody else our age in the church. It was all, people were either older by about 10 years, or they were just super younger. And so we were just kind of forced to be friends, and that's just how it kind of was. The problem is this, is though, is that I am, I am a really bad friend. Like, I am the most socially unorganized person you'll ever meet on the face of the planet. In fact, I'm the most unorganized person in every area that you'll ever meet. Like, I want to turn up to your thing. Like, I want to be there, but I'll probably be late, and I probably will have forgotten. Like, I'm just one of those people, and this is not an excuse. I'm just a really bad friend, but Josh is a great friend. Like, he always remembers your birthday. Um, he knew that I was speaking, so he texted me first thing this morning, half six, seven. He woke me up. I was livid, but he texted me, and he was like, hey, good luck today, whatever, because he's just a good friend, but I am not a good friend. <laughs> And so we were forced into this relationship, we were forced into being friends, and we, we kind of only had each other for a while. What's up, YA? We were the, we were the OG, original young adults. It, there wasn't anything cool like you guys have now, it was just literally me and Josh, okay? So 
It's one time Josh rings me up on a Saturday and he's like, hey, um, where are you? And I was confused because Saturdays are sacred and I was watching Netflix in my underpants and I was kind of like, I'm at home fully clothed, where are you? And he goes, well, I'm, I'm stood outside the cinema because you said that you would meet me here and the film's about to start and you're not here. And I was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to make that film. I really want to come to the film, but I really don't want to get dressed either. And so I just ditched him because we were new friends and, you know, you only show up for the people you love. So I just ditched him. (laughs) And that's the story of our friendship. And I've done that many times to Josh. I'm very sorry, but it just kind of is what it is. But the truth is, is that you show up for people you love. Isn't that right? Like you show up for the people that you love. In your life, you always go the extra mile for the ones that you love. You always turn up early. You always show up and try and be helpful or try and be encouraging towards the people you love. Sorry, Josh. I didn't love him yet. I love him now. We're 10 years into this thing, but I didn't love him then. I wasn't really, but I'll throw this friendship away. (laughs) Um, But isn't it awesome in life when people show up for you that you love? Like you love them and they love you and they show that love by showing up for you in your hour of need. Have you ever moved house? You know who loves you when you move house. A couple of weeks ago, we, st- we started to move house and we were uh, refurbing another house at the same time. And so we were, we were kind of in the middle of painting and decorating, but we really needed to get out of one house and into the, into the other. And I'm telling you, we are so grateful for the friends and family that turned up to help us move. Like, you know the people love you when they're like, yeah, I'll come lift some boxes. I'll come lift some boxes that are marked fragile and heavy. I'll come paint some walls. I'll come put some floorboards down. Like, you know that people love you when they show up for you in those ways. At Christmas, me and my wife, Beth, we, we, uh, we went to New Zealand and we flew on Christmas Eve. We, we threw away our Christmas day. We didn't get a Christmas day. Do you know how far New Zealand is? Like, it is far. Like, some of you people from Liverpool, it's further than coming to the world. Like, it is far, man. Like, in fact, it's three flights. We took three flights. It cost us a fortune to get to two weddings over Christmas because you show up for the people that you love. One time, my brother, he started playing football again, and I don't really care about about football. And this is not really my fault. You can't name a child Courtney and expect him to be into sports, okay? It's like naming a kid Picasso and expecting him to be a baseball player. It's not going to happen. And so it's my parents' fault, but my brother, he's really into sports, and he got into this football team, and they actually went quite far. They got to the the final or the semifinal or something, and, 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 you know, Saturdays are sacred, but I got up early in the rain, and I went to watch him play, and I had no idea what's going on. Like, I've never watched a full football match in my life. I was like, yeah, go sports. Like, I don't know what was going on. And they lost, and it was raining. But you show up for the people you love. Aren't you glad the volunteers showing up from 8 o'clock this morning just to make this environment, just to get this environment ready for you to come into because they love you and they, they love the idea of building a place where you can call home and building a community that you can bring your friends and family to because love always shows up. Aren't you glad that the band turned up today? <laughs> you don't have to listen to me and Dave do a two-man acapella of Waymaker. You, you can hear that later on if you want. We'll close the door and you can come in. <laughs> but you show up for the people that you love, right? But I'll tell you what really hurts in life is when the people that you thought would show up don't. That can be really difficult for us to process, can't it? It can be really tricky for us to process when someone in your life and you think they're going to be there for you and then you hit a hard time and they just don't show up like they're nowhere to be found. That can be really hard for us, can't it? What about family? 
like family, they, they love you and they want the best for you and with the greatest intent of intentions, you know that they're gonna turn up but they have their own stuff going on, they've got their own lives, their own baggage, their own problems and so when the time comes around, they say they're gonna be there but they just can't make it and it can feel, leave you feeling like, man, I feel so alone, like does anybody care? Like I feel so abandoned. It's hard when people don't show up for you, isn't it? What about friends? What about friends? Like you always shown up for your messy friend who you told not to get in that relationship, but they did anyway. And even when it felt a bitch, you were still there for them. But now it's your turn and you need those guys there for you. And you thought that they would come through for you in the same way that you came through for them, but they're nowhere to be found and they can just kind of leave you feeling like, God, does, does anyone care? Like, is anyone even bothered about the stuff that I'm going through? And the problem in life is, we sometimes do this equation, well at least I do, I do this thing that I call the care equation, and, and it basically goes like this, like people showing up in your life equals that they care, right? Like them plus showing up equals care, that's just basic emotional maths, and I think that we do the same thing with our relationship with God, don't we? We head into a storm, we get into a situation, and then for whatever reason, it can feel like God is distant from us or that he's not even there at all, and so we apply our same humanistic, emotional maths equation to God, and we're like, well, it feels like God isn't here, so maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't even care about the fact that I'm in this situation or whether I come out the other side or not, and it can leave us feeling like, God, where are you? Like, my friends aren't showing up, my family aren't showing up. God, where are you? And it can feel like you've really got this sense of abandonment and that can be really difficult, can't it? But the good news is, is that we're not the first people to encounter this problem. In the Bible, there's this group of people called the disciples and they became the followers of Jesus. And you know what? Like, I really love to learn about the disciples and here's why. They were some messed up guys, right? They were some broken people. What I love about the disciples is they were always getting it wrong. Like they were always shooting off their mouths and then asking questions later. Hello, sounds familiar. They were always messing up. They were always getting it wrong. But somehow Jesus was able to take a bunch of ordinary people and do extraordinary things through their lives because they were willing to trust and believe that he's got a plan, that he really does care. And no matter what, he's going to show up. And there's a situation in Matthew where we're going to read it in just a second, where Jesus sends the disciples, the ones he loved the most, remember, he sends them off in a boat to cross a sea, and then the storm whips up, and now they're panicking, and they're fretting, and they're worrying, and it feels as though they're going to die. It feels as though they're not going to make it. It feels as though they're going to sink because Jesus isn't in the boat with them. So picture the scene. It's cold. It's dark. I mean, it, this is no fun for anyone. They're in the middle of this sea. It's wet and it's windy. It's kind of like standing in a queue at Alton Towers on Halloween because then to add insult to injury, a ghost turns up. I mean, they stood there thinking, what on earth is going on? They must have been thinking, where are you, Jesus? And you've got to remember that these people, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, they were fishermen before they were ever followers. And they recorded the gospel. So if they recorded that they were battered by the waves and that the storm was bad, you can bet that it was bad. Like it's always so much worse, isn't it, when the professional says it's bad. Like when your mom gives you a hot towel and some chicken soup and she's like, oh baby, you're not well. You're like, yeah, you kind of know that you're faking. But when the doctor says you're not well, it has much more weight, doesn't it? And so with this statement, we can really grasp the, the severity of this situation that the disciples were in. It says that they were battered by the waves. 
So they get into this dicey situation and it almost feels like Jesus isn't going to show up because they're in a storm and he's on the mountain. They got in the boat, but he wasn't with them. And so this is what happens. If you've got a Bible, we're going to read really quick just in the time that we've got left together. Matthew 14, verse 22. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, it's going to come up on the screen behind me. And this is what it says. Matthew 14, 22. This is what it goes. It says, as soon as the meal was finished, he insisted that the disciples get in the boat. Fact. Nothing good ever happens when the food runs out. He insisted that the disciples get in the boat and head over to the other side while he dismissed the people. With the crowd dispersed, he climbed the mountain so he could be by himself and pray. He stayed there alone late into the night. Meanwhile, the boat was far out to sea when the wind came up against them and they were battered by the waves. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water and they were scared out of their wits. And they said, a ghost crying out in terror. Verse 27, but Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me, don't be afraid. So here are the disciples in the middle of this storm, in the middle of their situation that seems so bleak, that seems so dark, that seems it doesn't feel like there's, any, there's gonna be any way out. Have you ever had that situation where you get into a circumstance in life and it just feels like everything else is raging, everything else is storming around you and you can't go forwards and you can't go backwards and you can't go sideways and now you're just looking like, God, do you even care? Because I'm not even sure there is, there is even a possible way out of this and this is how the disciples were feeling. But what's amazing with this verse is, although it contains so many Um, important facts and amazing revelations. It contains two that I really want to focus on right now. And this is what it is. Number one is that it mentions that Jesus wasn't with them. Now, this was unusual because Jesus had started his ministry and his boys were always with him. But at this point, he tells them to climb into the boat as he climbs up the mountain and he sends them off across a sea, by the way, which is known for sudden and violent storms. You see, the Sea of Galilee, some people say it's a lake. It's one of the uh, lowest lowest bodies of water on the earth. And so what happens is the the valley that surrounds it, the hot air comes off the valley and down the hills and it meets the cool air that's above the water. And so wind and storms and all this kind of stuff can whip up really, really fast. So they've climbed into the boat and they've got into a storm, but Jesus has climbed a mountain and he's praying and it feels like he doesn't even care, right? It feels like he doesn't really care. And the second thing that's important in this verse for us today is this, it's the time. It says at about four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning. These guys have been out there all night. And you see, because it records the time, scholars are able to kind of track back on the day and they're able to figure out that when it mentions 4 a.m., well, that means that the disciples have been out fighting this storm against the wind and against the waves for about nine hours. And what's even crazier than that is where they set off from geographically, should have only took two hours to get to the other side. But they've been fighting this storm for nine hours. And you've got to feel for these guys because these are the people that Jesus loved the most, right? But that doesn't seem like what love is. Like, because love shows up. But Jesus, he's not showing up in this situation and they're sat in a boat wondering whether they're going to die. I mean, even just physically, you've got to feel for these guys, right? They've been straining against the waves on the oars. I'm not sure if this is how you row boats but it kind of feels like it's right. And they've been doing this for nine hours. Have you ever been on a rowing machine for more than nine minutes in the gym? 
Like it'll have you hurting in places that you didn't know that you had. And so they're in this boat and they're starting to think like if Jesus isn't here, if he's physically not with us, then maybe, just maybe, he doesn't care. Like we've been out here for so long and Jesus isn't gonna show up. I mean, how would he even show up anyway? We've been on this storm, we've been on this sea, we've been in this storm. Maybe we misunderstood this whole thing. Maybe Jesus didn't call us. Maybe he isn't who he says that he is. Maybe we just got this entire thing wrong. And I believe in life, the harsh truth of life is that you're either in a storm or you're heading towards one. And that can sound like a really depressive outlook on life, right? But I think this, the sooner that you know, the better that you can fight it. The sooner that you know that you're either in a storm in life or you're moving towards one, the better you can equip yourself with what the Word of God says about you and about your life and you are able to better fight the things that are coming your way. Maybe God doesn't care. That's what they're thinking. Maybe God doesn't, doesn't actually love us like it says that he does. I mean, have you ever had that? You've been in a situation for so long. These guys have been in it for nine hours. Maybe you've been in it for nine days. Maybe you've been in it for nine weeks. These guys have been stuck on this storm. And much like us today, the storms of financial pressures. And you're stood there thinking, well, if God really cared, then he'd have shown me a way out by now. Surely, if God is so good, how can he care so little? If God really cares, then I'd have beat this addiction by now. But maybe, just maybe, God doesn't care. And so the question is, is what do we do when we're facing a storm and it feels like we're on our own? It feels like Jesus isn't with us. It feels like we've been abandoned. Well, the first thing that you've got to do is simply this. You've got to know one thing first. It's this. It's what's coming to save you might at first confuse you. Someone said to me um, a while back, they said, the best way to read the Bible is slowly, slowly. And so I started to read it. I started to read it real slowly. And so when I read the story, I was like, Jesus, do you even care? (laughs) These guys, the ones that you love the most, they're on a boat and you're in a mountain praying, doing kumbaya, and they're dying on a sea. Like, are you even bothered? It says that you love these people, but that's not how it looks. But let's read it again. It says, at about four o'clock, In the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking on the water, and they were scared out of their wits. A ghost, they said, crying out in terror. And so picture this, Jesus approaches the boat, and even though it's an amazing miracle that he's walking on the water, even though it's, it's, it's almost overroaring at what he's actually doing by bending physics and nature to allow him to walk on the water, what's interesting to me is that when he approaches the boat, the disciples kind of go, ah, (laughs) it's a ghost. But these were the ones that were with him the most. These were the ones that hung around with Jesus 24-7. They knew him better than anyone. They were with him more than anyone. But when Jesus approaches their boat, they confuse his identity and they think that he's a ghost. And I wonder in our lives sometimes, is God sending stuff your way that looks like a storm but is actually the thing that he wants to use to save you? I wonder if we're misidentifying God's rescue plan in our lives. It might be the case that when you feel like God isn't with you, he actually is, but you're confused as to what he looks like and how he wants to save you. I am certain, and I don't want to minimize your pain, but I am certain that God can and will use your relational breakdown to teach you how to be a better husband or a better wife. 
I'm certain, and I don't want to minimize any of this in your life, but I am certain that God can take your pain and teach you about joy. He can take your restlessness and teach you about peace, but sometimes we misidentify the plan that God wants to use in our life. We misidentify the storm as something that's going to kill us, but the book of Romans in the Bible, it tells us that he's working all things out for the good of those who love him. Not some things, not the things we expect of him, not just the good things, but all things, the good, the bad the ugly, the scary, the stormy, all things for the good of those who love him. What if God wants to do something in you before he ever does anything for you? What if the storm is more about you? The problem for us in 2020 is um, we're a customization generation, aren't we? We we want God to save us, but we kind of want to tell him the manner in which we want to be saved, right? Like you can customize absolutely anything. In Starbucks, you can, you can customize your drink up to 8,000 times. There are 8,000 drink options that you can have in a Starbucks. You can customize your drinks. You can customize your meals. Wayne Palmer was showing me the other day that he bought a pair of Nikes and he put a, he put a Bible verse on the side. How holy is this guy? You can customize your shoes. You can customize what you walk on. You can customize everything. We used to have a doorbell and someone came around to my house, Isaac Bryant, and he changed it and you can customize it so that you can answer the door to the theme tune of La Cucaracha. Like when did a normal ding-dong, stop being sufficient for my door alert needs. You can customize absolutely everything. And don't get me wrong, like I'm a big fan of customization, but you can't customize Christ and the way that he wants to work in your life. And when we don't get it customized, that's when we get it confused. And we think that God isn't with us when actually God cares for us the most. He's still got a plan. He's still working it out. He's still trying to get to you. We don't get it customized, and so we get it confused. We can feel like God doesn't care and we can, we can misunderstand the things that he sent to save us as the very thing that it's meant to destroy us. Me and Beth, we were, my wife, we were talking this week about, she was asking me about message prep and asking me about what I'm going to speak about. And I was excited and, and, and I was like, I really think that, that, that God's going to do some things in people's lives because I've never really seen this before about how the storm can actually help you rather than be the thing that's going to kill you. And she goes, yeah, 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 like, like Goliath. I was like, no. Not like Goliath. Like I'd spent hundreds of hours doing this prep and she's like, yeah, 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 like Goliath. And I told her the whole thing again and I was like, what are you on about? And she goes, like Goliath. Because Goliath was never sent to eliminate David. Goliath was sent to elevate David. Without Goliath, you probably wouldn't have ever had a David. You see, this is the thing. Without the storm, you might not have a miracle. What if the storm is just a cliff note to the story of the miracle that God wants to put in your life? Without Goliath, there's no David. Without the storm, there's no miracle. Without the storm, there's no water walking Jesus. And I never, ever knew this up until this point. But when I was doing my prep and research for this message, I never, ever knew that this was the first time that the disciples become certain that Jesus is the Son of God. It's the first time that it happens in Scripture. Up until this point, they never ever know. There's 15 recorded miracles up until this moment, but this is the one where they realize that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one that they all worship him. You see, uncertainty creates chaos, but certainty in who Jesus is and how he wants to work in your life creates calm and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Don't get it confused. Don't confuse your understanding with God and limit the size of what he wants to do in your life. Don't be in your feelings be in your faith. And the second thing is this, you've got to choose faith over feelings. Choose faith. 
You've got to wake up every single day and consistently and consciously choose faith. I mean, we as Christians, we, we think that faith is a default mode, don't we? We think that we're going to wake up, and because we're a Christian, and because we believe in God, and, and all that kind of stuff, we're going to wake up, and we're going to walk around floating on air. It doesn't work that way. Every single day, you've got to wake up, and you've got to choose faith. I know that it's hard, but don't choose feelings. Choose faith. I know that it's hard, trust me, in the midst of a health scare. I know that it's difficult, but there is a choice, and you can choose faith. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that it's not hard in the midst of a financial pressure or a promotional problem or, or a work thing. I'm not saying that any of that's easy, but what I am saying is that you do have a choice and that choice can be faith. You can choose worship over worry. You can choose praise over problems. You can choose faith over fear. It's not an easy choice, but it is the best choice. And the third and final thing is this today that I want you to know is whatever you do, when you face a storm in life and it feels like God's not with you, it feels like God doesn't care, I want you to know that love is on the way and you've got to keep moving forward. You just gotta keep moving forward. When it feels like you're alone, you've gotta remember that God is coming for you. Help is inbound. You might not feel him, you might not see him. So the question is, is can you wait while God is working it out? And that is what faith is. Can you sit in your waiting, in your storm, trusting and believing that God has a plan because you count and he cares. And even on your worst day, he really would still choose you. All through the Bible, there's a story of God trying to make a way, make a connection back with the people that he made because he's got a plan and you count and he cares and he would choose you. They could have turned around at about hour two, I think I'd have been like, boys, this is not working. These waves are massive. This boat is a joke. I'm fairly certain I've just seen the deadliest catch film crew come flying past. Like, we got to turn around. But they don't. They keep moving forward. They keep pushing into adversity, into the eye of the storm, into what seemed like the thing that was going to destroy them. They kept pushing forward. And when they did, that's when they realized that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's when they were able to worship him like never before. A couple, uh, couple of years ago when we got married, uh, we are about three months into our marriage and Beth, my wife, she was hit by a drunk driver and he hit her at about 60 miles an hour on a 30 mile an hour road. It was in the papers and all that kind of stuff and she was stationary and he hit her right in the driver's side where, and she was driving, she was on her own and, um, and it was awful, like it, it was so bad. Um, Beth was rushed to hospital and it turned out that, that she'd broken her neck. And that's a really difficult storm to find out that your wife has broken her neck. That's a really difficult call to take. And so she's in hospital and she's making a recovery and she's comatose most of the time and she's morphined up most of the time and she had cracks in her hips. She broke the base of her spine. She had six fractures in the base of her skull. She had a bleed on her brain. She lost her sight in one eye. All of her ribs were smashed up and broken. And it was really bad. But I just remember, in fact, this morning, I remember this one thing. That no matter what was happening, even though she didn't realize it, her feet at the end of the bed would stick out of these hospital beds. And they would, they would just go like this. <laughs> like she was Scuba Steve, you know? They're just flipping away and when she finally woke up we all asked her and we said what are you doing and she said well I heard when the physio said that I might have to learn to walk again 
And I decided that if I could just keep moving my feet, I'll be okay. If I could just keep moving in a comatose state, in a morphined up state, she realized that if she could just keep moving her feet, no matter how bad it got, no matter how hard it got, no matter what the doctor said, no matter what the physio said, in the midst of, 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 in the midst of problem, in the midst of our storm, in our darkest days so far, she realized something that I never realized and she could just keep moving forward, then she would be okay. And the physios come around and they made me sign this thing. And they said, if you sign this thing, we can get it up out of bed because she was saying, I don't need to learn to walk again, thanks. I can walk just fine. And they kept coming around and they would go, no, no, Beth, you, you're gonna need to learn to walk again. And she's like, no, I, can, I just wanna get out the bed. Help me get out the bed. And I had to sign a form to say that we wouldn't sue them if she got out the bed and collapsed and broke her legs. And, uh, <laughs> and in the end, she got out the bed and she started to walk. And I'll never ever forget it. She walked out this ward and into the corridor with one of those gowns that are open at the back. She didn't realize she was naked. That'd be weird though. And she started to climb and she started to walk and then she got to the doors and we were like, what are you doing? She goes, I'm gonna climb these stairs. And the physios were like, he won't be able to climb those stairs. She's like, I'm climbing these stairs. One case, two case, three case. And then she had to stop for a break. Because she had just nearly died. But that's the thing, in your storm, in your trouble, I just want you to know these three things. What's coming to save you might first confuse you. Make sure you choose faith over feelings and no matter how hard it gets, keep moving forward. Keep coming to church when you feel like God isn't with you. Keep turning up when you feel like He doesn't even exist and you're doubtful. Keep going to life group. Keep allowing people in your life group to speak calm into your storm. Keep showing up on your servant teams. Keep volunteering. Get involved in a team. Keep pressing on because love is on the way. When you love someone, you always show up and you counter God, and He cares for you, and even on your worst day, He would still choose you. For more content from us, why not head on to any one of our social media platforms, or check us out online, www.liverpoolonechurch.com. And hey, we would love to see you on a Sunday, 10 a.m., 11.45, or 6 p.m. We'll see you there.